This Bible study podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Well, welcome to those of you who are new this morning. And as Michelle said, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. We've gone so far through 10 chapters. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm hoping everyone was able to get a handout. Is there anyone that hasn't, doesn't have a handout? And the reason I'm asking is because we're going to, those handouts you're going to use today. Is everyone all right? Okay. Um, so as I said, we've been going through the book of Acts and we're almost halfway through. And today we're going to take some time to kind of review some major themes that we've seen so far in Acts chapters 1 through 10. And what we've read about so far are miracles and the growth and the struggles of the early church. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, why is this important to us? What impact does reading about the early church have on us? How can we live as the early church? When today we are busy, we're disconnected, our faith is privatized, what can we learn from the first community of believers? Well, Acts begins with the recounting of Jesus appearing after his death. In Acts chapter 1, he appears to his disciples over a period of 40 days, and his last instructions to his disciples before ascending into heaven are, one, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that his Father has promised. Two, he lets them know that when that gift comes, they will receive power. And three, he then commissions them. He tells them to be witnesses in all of Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he tells them to wait, he tells them that he has a gift for them, and then he gives them a calling. Again, I just want you to take note of that. He calls us to wait, he tells us to receive the gift, which will give us power, and then he gives us a calling, he gives us a commission. Now in the next chapter, we read about that gift being received, and that day is called Pentecost. It's the miraculous arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, and if you were a disciple at that time, you were probably wondering, what the heck is this impending gift going to be like? What's he talking about? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon us, and it's going to give us power. Well, Acts tells us that there was a sudden and violent wind, followed by tongues of fire coming to rest on each disciple. Then each disciple began speaking in a foreign language. This would have been a crazy thing to experience and to see. And you would, at that point, understand that this power is not from you, that this is a power from another, and it is a gift given to you from God himself. This moment in time radically redefined the community. It radically redefined the relationship between God and his people, and the prophecies were fulfilled. Back in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel the prophet had said, I will give you a new heart, speaking for God. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He's removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. He's putting a new spirit in us. He's putting his spirit in us, which allows us to keep his laws, to follow his word to seek him. It empowers us. 
we first read about this spirit back in Genesis chapter 1. And we know that, um, well, I'll read Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Isn't that a powerful image? So the Spirit that he gives us was hovering over the waters before the beginning of time, before anything was created. It brought light into darkness at the beginning of time. This is what God's bringing into our life. He's bringing his light. His presence is now dwelling in his people. The spirit is God's personal presence in us. The wind, the flame, the energy of God, which has the ability to give life, has now been sent to all believers, and it has been sent to us. This is a key anchoring point to the book of Acts. We are a new community through Christ, and we've been given power, God's power. He no longer dwells in a tent or a temple apart from us. He no longer dwells in the heavens. He dwells with us. Within each and every one of us, we are the temple. The Spirit empowers us to serve God and others. It's an endless resource to us. It's not to be used for our own purposes and agendas, but for God's perfect plan and purpose. So one of the first themes that we see in the book of Acts is that as believers, we each have the Holy Spirit. The next chapters of Acts focus on Peter's role as a leader in the early church. He leads with boldness. He proclaims the God, God's truth with authority, and he heals the lame and the sick by the power of the Holy Spirit. He becomes both a prominent teacher and a prominent pro- proclaimer of God's word. He explains the miracle of Pentecost to the massive crowd that's surrounding them, wondering what the heck is going on. How are these people suddenly speaking in my language? He defends Christ to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders, to those who oppose the gospel message. And he boldly points out that they were part of crucifying Christ. We see Peter transformed from the gospels. He was once a meager fisherman who Jesus called. And then he became Jesus' disciple. And he was always putting his foot in his mouth. He was always saying, I'll do this, and always gung-ho but then messing up. He was always saying one thing and doing another. But we see him come into his calling. We see him find his place in the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. We see, this is the second theme that we see, that unschooled, ordinary believers can be extraordinary as they yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. That unschooled, ordinary believers can be extraordinary as they yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see this not just in Peter, but we see it in all the other believers too. Acts 4, 32 through 35 describes the early church. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the, money from, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had a need. We see that there was this oneness, this community, this shared heart, shared vision, shared goal in the believers, in the early church. 
And again, this was by the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church was marked by generosity and a desire to help one another and to share resources, to share time, to share gifting. The new community of Acts stood in stark contrast to the temple of that day, which had become a place of status, of influence, of earned merit and favor. And a place where if you didn't have it all together, you weren't allowed within, if you didn't meet certain criteria, you weren't allowed in certain parts of the court. But the church, in contrast, opened their arms wide to everyone, to the ordinary, to the fishermen, to the meager, to the lame, to the lost, to the broken. Next, in Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to a young man named Stephen. His calling originated out of an argument amongst the believers, the early church, about food, that some widows weren't receiving their, their fair share. The disciples got together and decided to, to look for righteous leaders. And Stephen was one of these ones that was recognized as an honorable and godly follower of Jesus. And so he is placed in the position, very prestigious position, of being a food distributor. We could equivocate, equivocate this to maybe being a lunch lady. Very honorable position. That was sarcasm. <laughs> But this ordinary man was faithful to that call, and God uses him mightily. And in chapter 7, we see by the power of the Spirit, Stephen gives this powerful speech to the Sanhedrin and ends up being the first martyr for the early church. Again, an ordinary man being obedient to God, becoming an extraordinary legacy for the church. As a result of his martyrdom, the church begins to spread like wildfire, which leads us to the next theme of the book of Acts. And this one, perhaps, is my least, is the one I struggle with the most. It's that persecution and suffering are part of following Christ. I'll repeat that. Persecution and suffering are part of following Christ. This teaching makes me squirm as I acknowledge the reality of it. And we see the reality of it throughout the book of Acts as the disciples are thrown into jail, as they're beaten, as they're stoned, as they're put to death for professing their faith in Christ. And we'll continue to see it in the chapters ahead as we follow the Apostle Paul and his journeys. Following Christ is costly. It's never the easiest path to take. Walking in faith will include persecution and suffering. This world is not our home, and we will endure tears, hardships, illness, and suffering until Jesus returns, bringing forth the new heaven and earth. Peter himself writes about suffering in his letter, his epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Do you find it hard to rejoice in suffering? I know I do. I was texting a friend this morning, 
and she, I asked her for prayer and told her I was teaching this morning and I didn't feel very good and I haven't been sleeping well for the last few nights. And her prayer back to me was, may Lindsay rejoice in you, Lord, instead of her circumstances. That's beautiful. May we rejoice in him instead of our circumstances. Well, the persecution of the early church culminates in Acts chapter 6 and 7, and it has a paradoxical effect. This horrific tragedy of Stephen's death becomes the means by which Jesus' disciples begin to fulfill what Jesus had asked them to do in the beginning, to share the gospel throughout Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In chapters 8 and 10, 8 through 10, we begin to see that the gospel was never intended for one certain people group. It was never meant for one nation, one class, one small segment of the population. Instead, this brings us to the theme number four, the gospel was meant for everyone, everywhere. Jesus had said, take the gospel to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everyone Everywhere. Really, Lord? Even those who persecute us? Saul was the chief persecutor of the church. Remember, he stood there approving of of Stephen being stoned and murdered. He was the number one enemy. But then we are told of his radical conversion in chapter 9. Yes, everyone, even those who persecute us. God loves even our enemies. He loves those who have betrayed us, those who have hurt us, those who frustrate us, and those who work against us. Everyone, Lord, even those who are different from me, even those who I don't deem as good as me or I look down upon. We look at Philip in chapter 8, who went to Samaria. Samaria. The Samaritans were a hated people group. And there Philip shares the gospel with this people group. And the people are amazed. Yes, everyone, even those who are different from us, even those we look down on. And what about those who oppress us and rule over us? Even those, Lord, they're worthy of your grace and your love. We look at Peter's vision in chapter 10 regarding the Roman centurion. He takes the gospel to Cornelius and God shows him through a vision, through a dream that what he once thought was um, impure. He tells Peter not to call what is pure impure, that his creation, anyone he created is pure and worthy of the gospel. And the beauty of this is he's telling Peter this, even though he was spent years with Peter discipling him, he's having to teach Peter again that Peter's biases have creeped into his faith, that his cultural biases, that his um, preconceptions have creeped into his faith, faith and affected the reading of the gospel. I love that God is patient with us, and he works with us, and he speaks to Peter here, telling him to go to Cornelius, to go to the Gentiles, to go what the Jewish considered impure, because that, those two are God's chosen. There's no one beyond God's realm. Those that oppress us, those that persecute us, those who rule over us, those who are different than us, God is for everyone. 
the gospel message is for everyone, everywhere. So to briefly summarize the four themes that we've seen so far in chapters one through 10, I'll repeat those. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Unschooled, ordinary believers can do extraordinary things by yielding to the Spirit. Persecution and suffering are part of following Christ. And the gospel is meant for everyone, everywhere. Now I want to do something a little different. What I want to do is have you ladies respond. And I've written some meditation questions out, and I'm going to guide you through a time where you're going to talk with God. I figured this was a good opportunity since we're heading into a new year just to take time to be in his presence as a group together. And I want you just to... um, I'll guide you through it, and I just want you to listen for his voice. So on your handout, on meditation, on the reflection of number one, I want you first just to take a deep breath. I want you to breathe all the way down to the bottom of your lungs. And then I want you to exhale a deep breath. I want you to do that again. Just breathe in deeply. And think about the spirit. Think about that it is God's spirit filling you, coming into you, embracing you, filling you up. Think about how he breathed into Adam in Genesis 1, how that brought Adam life in the beginning that his spirit brings life. It gives life. Now the spirit, as we read scripture, we see it come upon people in the Old Testament in different ways. And then we see it in the New Testament, prompting believers to do amazing things or to do things that they would not do otherwise. And in today's culture, it's hard for us to hear the sweet sound of the Spirit's voice. It's hard for us to surrender our agendas. But as we breathe deeply and look to Christ, we can sense his Spirit. So I want you now to write about an experience. Just reflect, when was the last time you felt the nudging of the Spirit? When was the last time you heard his gentle voice whisper into your thoughts? And how did you respond? And were you sure it was the Spirit? Or were you unsure? And when did you know it was the Spirit? There's many different ways that the Spirit can prompt us. For those of you who are at church this Sunday, Carrie uh, shared how the Spirit prompted her to ask Patsy Steinfeld to mentor her. I loved that prompting. It was And she said she looked up and Patsy was sitting behind her at church that day too. So she asked Patsy, and Patsy's been mentoring her for the past couple years. But that was her obedience to the Spirit's nudging. Sometimes the Spirit nudges us to reach out to a stranger with a greeting or a smile. Or sometimes he nudges us to speak boldness, the boldness of truth, into a situation where we see truth as being distorted. 
the Spirit causes us to do things that we would not normally do. It's the unexplainable desire to reach out to another person or people group with love, even though it will be costly to ourselves. So just take a few moments to reflect on the last time you felt the nudging of the Spirit. And in a couple minutes, I'll move us on to the next reflection. Now the next reflection I'd like you to do comes under the, the truth of number two, that unschooled, ordinary believers can be extraordinary as they yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. So ladies, as we head into 2018, I want you to think about what concern, what habit, what attitude, or even a routine might God be asking you to yield to him this year in order to make room for more of him, to make room for his spirit to be heard, for him to have more of you. If you remember, as we talked about this, we talked about the spirit being something that fills us up. And if you have a cup or a pitcher of water that's already full, you can't add more water to that. You need to empty out some before you can add more. So ladies, what would you like to empty out in 2018 to make more room for the Spirit? And just so you know, this isn't a resolution. This is just a prayer. If you're like me, resolutions never stick. Just let it be a prayer between you and God. Now the third theme that we talked about was that persecution and suffering are part of following Christ. This is a truth that I'm uncomfortable with and that I'm sure many of us are. And I want you just to take time right now and just um, tell God what is the burden on your heart right now? What have you been struggling with? Where do you long to see God's hand move? Is there something you've been carrying and you're tired of carrying it? You want him to deliver, to provide? You want him to restore it? Share that now. Write that down. Share that with him. Tell him your heart's longing and that ache. And then after you've written that down, I want you to reflect on the question, do you see God's hand amidst that circumstance, that burden? Do you see him working? If yes, how so? And if not, ask him to. Ask him to show you his hand in this situation. And then our fourth theme of the book of Acts so far is understanding that the gospel was meant for everyone, everywhere. 
And at this point, I don't want you to write down any names, but I want you to just close your eyes, and I want to think you to think about either a people group or a person in your life that you have a difficult time loving. It could be a political party. It could be um, a coworker. It could be um, someone you that you encounter daily. It could be a neighbor. It could be in-laws. It could be your spouse. But just think of a difficult person right now in your life that you have a hard time loving or a people group. And once you've identified that person, what I want you to do next is just silently pray through the three verses below and put that person or the people group's name in the blank spaces as you pray. Now, I know for some of you that could have been really challenging, but I encourage you to continue doing this as what you'll recognize or you'll realize over time is that God will begin to soften your heart towards that person. And the situation won't seem quite so daunting, and your heart will begin to change towards that person. You'll begin to see that person or that people group with God's eyes of love, that the gospel is meant for everyone, everywhere. Well, those are the reflections I had for you this morning. As we look to the weeks ahead, we're going to continue going through the book of Acts. It's exciting. We're going to continue with the story of Peter for a couple more chapters, and then we're going to switch. um, The focus of Acts will switch over to the Apostle Paul, and we'll get to follow him on his missional journeys. We're going to see that the word Christian will be used for the first time in chapter 11, which is kind of interesting for our history to know that that's when we began calling ourselves Christians. But as we close, I want to talk about the new community a little bit more, this new community in Acts. It's interesting that we are studying this, and we are also this year um, hosting this If Beaverton event, this If Gathering. And I want to give you a little history, the postcard that Michelle was sharing about the event that's coming up February 9th and 10th. I want to share a little bit about how the founder of IF, how it came to be that she got this vision, because it reminded me of the community in Acts. So the reason it's called IF, it's a little bit weird. You're always like, what? Why would I want to go to IF? And what the heck is IF? Her question was, what if we could disciple a generation? That was her question. And then it became the if gathering. And she started gathering women together and asking that question. What if we could disciple a generation? In 2007, her name is Jenny Allen, the founder of this. She sensed God telling her to do just that. It seemed to be impossible and an improbable calling. But she knew that if this was a call truly from God, that he would make it a reality. So for years, she waited She took small steps of obedience and watched God begin to open doors and give her favor. Her vision was to gather, equip, and unleash women to live out God's calling on their lives. Six years later, of praying, of waiting, um, in the fall of 2013, 
60 influencers came together from diverse backgrounds and were invited to Austin, Texas to hear and to speak into this vision that she had as it was beginning to take shape. And during that weekend, God tore down walls and divisions and built bridges that unified women across denominations and various contexts. Immediately after that gathering, that retreat, with fear and trembling, they launched the first IF gathering in 2014. That was five years ago. And in order for it to be accessible to all women, they had no set ticket price. It's purely by donations. And they live-streamed it so it could be broadcast anywhere for women with young babies at home, for people, missionaries out in the field. They wanted it accessible to everyone. And they opened up registration prayerfully, humbly, um, with trepidation. And 47 minutes later, the event was sold out. That IF team said that in their wildest of dreams, they couldn't have imagined what would happen next. Women around the world stood up as if as local leaders, like what we're doing this year at Sunset, and they took leadership into their own communities. They hosted it at their own church, churches and homes. And it wasn't just one age group, it was, or one race or one denomination represented. It was all ages, all races, all denominations. Isn't that beautiful? Women tasted what it was like to be part of a global movement of God where each person had a place and where lives were changed. Doesn't that sound like the Acts community? They tasted. They were part of a global movement of God. They tasted his presence, being part of a community that was generous and full of the Spirit. So the IF gatherings have reached now, they have reached more than a million women in over 50 countries worldwide. And the best metaphor that they could use to describe what was happening is that each person in the story is a domino. And they say each person as a domino, as they do a small act of obedience, as they listen to the Holy Spirit and obey, the result is they lay, aside, they lay down their life and it touches another life. And then that life gets touched and it lays down its life. And it was a domino effect spreading throughout Jenny Allen and the IF team's obedience is a very small part of a huge matrix of dominoes. What has happened over the last two years is that an army of women have been obedient to their call and they've unleashed others to do the same. The result is simply that God's glory is on display through the laying down of lives in the midst of a generation of women who want to see him move. This is the Acts community. They saw, they knew Jesus they laid down their lives, and it had a domino effect. And the most beautiful thing about this is Jenny Allen, I went to an IF gathering last year, and she shared her story. She said one lady, when she was in college, decided to mentor her. She had a nudge by the Holy Spirit. She asked that lady to mentor her, and that lady did. And she, and she had that lady come up on stage, and she said, it's because of you, you being that one domino that laid down your life and was obedient to the Spirit, that all this, this massive movement, this massive um, equipping and unleashing of women has started. It's a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. A beautiful picture of how, with our obedience, we can touch others 
And it doesn't have to be big. It can be small. It's just one thing. It's one time listening to the Spirit. So ladies, as you go to your groups today, I just pray for a blessing upon you. I'll pray now. I'll close in prayer. I would encourage you to um, talk as a small group about coming to the gathering. Uh, The reason I'm promoting it isn't because there's any financial benefit to it, but there is definitely spiritual benefit. It was, for me last year, Patsy, Alyssa, and I went on the leadership team and we, all three of us, were so excited to see God moving in the local church in a way that was powerful and at a global scale, and to be part of that, to realize that our little group is connected to millions of other women around the world. And we were both, we were all encouraged and inspired in our faith. So I encourage you to join us um, February 9th and 10th, and come as a small group or host a table and invite your neighbors, however you want to do it. Next week, we'll have Karen Carroll here. For those of you that prefer not to register online, we'll have Karen Carroll here, and you can bring... It only costs $10, which is our fee for having it at sunset on Saturday. Um, If you just want to bring your $10 in, you can register here on that day. And, yeah, with that, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for the story that we're following in Acts. We thank you that it's not just the story of something distant and past, but that it is our story, Father, that we are the sons and daughters of you, that this is our inheritance and this is our identity. We are your disciples, Lord, and we have the Holy Spirit, Lord, this gift that you gave us this mystical gift of your presence that now dwells in us. I pray, Lord, for our times and our small group. I pray for your blessing upon these ladies. I thank you that they laid aside their agendas for today, Father, to be here. I thank you for that step of obedience, Lord, and I pray that you can continue to bless them, encourage them, equip them, and empower them, Lord. Thank you that we are ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God who allows us to be part of his kingdom plans. In your name, amen.